to The Inner Gateway, a podcast where we discuss ways to uncover our true selves and gain courage to make changes in life. I am your host, Misha Frankel, and as we move into Series 2, we will be shifting direction and looking at some of the different complementary health modalities that are available. Penny Barron, I am delighted to welcome you to my podcast, The Inner Gateway. This has been a long time coming. Penny Barron is comes from a science background with a science degree, a homeopathy diploma. She teaches nutrition and homeopathy. Also, med science is an author and a writer. Now, with all these things under her belt, and oh yes, a stinted schools. They're teaching sexual education. So Penny comes with a breadth of info. Pen, would you please give us some background as to why you moved from science, homeopathy? Thank you, Michelle. All right. My family intellectuals, they're scientists, they're geologists. And so all of my life I've been steeped in science. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I had all these weird dreams and I'd go to my parents, oh, I had this weird dream, like I had wings on my back or like I was floating through this massive valley of lava or I was in this amazing space of joy and light or or I was having all these nightmares. It was just really vivid, everything I was going through. And I was having all these weird experiences, picking up on people's thoughts and feelings and all of that stuff that happens. And my parents didn't know what to make of me, I think, as a child. And uh, they then <laughs> you were having astral experiences. And they were scientists. They wouldn't have had a clue, Danny. Scientists. So, yeah, they didn't know what to make of it. And they went, oh, no, that doesn't exist. Oh, no, it's just what you do. And so <laughs> I grew up in this very conflicting environment where there was this one reality that I was faced with every day from my parents and my parents' friends and everybody else. And then this other reality that was inside. And I'd gotten so steeped in that outer reality for a little while that one of my family friends who was good friends with my parents once brought up the possibility of reincarnation when I was telling them about this series of dreams that I'd had. And I just looked at them and went, what? (laughs) And that was at the height of my rejection of all of that. So it was that, and, and that age when I was at the height of my rejection of all of that was when I went to uni. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Actually, that wasn't quite true because in year 11, I remember telling my parents I wanted to be a natural therapist. And there was this naturopath who lived down the road who my parents looked at with utter horror. <laughs> I can just admit this is this, this discussion. <laughs> It's almost this shameful thing to be a naturopath. And then I did know what I wanted to do, but my parents were so horrified. They said, oh, look, just do a science degree. And they shunted me. They guided me into doing chiropractic because at the time, chiropractic was more scientific or was considered more valid, I guess, than that other side of natural therapy. So I started studying chiropractic, which came with a med science degree. And I'm actually really glad I did the med science degree. I did all that stuff like chopping up bodies, 
dissection and learning about physiology and all of those different modalities, histology, pathology, all of it. Anyway, at the time, I thought it was completely irrelevant. And for a couple of years while I was at uni, I drank my way through uh, the day. <laughs> and I don't know about the cutting up bodies, though. <laughs> oh, by then it, I wasn't quite as resistant to uni and, and that bit was actually really fascinating, but I did do a lot of drinking. I did do a lot of searching and I was, I realized that I was really unhappy mm -hmm. and you might be thinking, well, <laughs> of course, but I, I didn't know where I wanted to take it. And so once I'd finished my science degree and satisfied my parents that way, I went overseas for two years and disappeared. I couldn't wait to get away. And I was walking in New Zealand in the mountains at the time. And I had this really incredible experience where my thoughts just stopped. I was by myself. And this incredible experience, it was like, there was this silence that filled me and my brain had never been silent before. It's always, so I couldn't work out what was going on. And then this other presence, it was a presence that was linked to everything around me. It was like one with the valley, one with these beautiful trees. And I <laughs> got down on my knees and I sobbed for like oh, an hour. Come <laughs> on, that was the catalyst. And that was the catalyst that sort yeah. of said, okay, Penny Barham, what are you going to do now? And what I... The main thing I realized from that experience was that all of those yearnings and dreams and experiences, they were valid, <laughs> of course, and it was guiding me towards something else. So I came home from that and said to my parents, I'm moving out and I'm studying natural therapies. <laughs> what does the reaction tell me? They were horrified. It's anti-science of claptrap. I can't believe you would compromise all of that good education in a science degree and put it towards something as stupid and ridiculous as that. They just went on and on and on. Um, <laughs> I didn't see this happening with you. Yes. Yeah, because them. <laughs> but what they didn't realize was and what I've come to see now is the amount of scientific research behind not only nutrition, which I finished uh, the diploma of a little bit later than homeopathy. So there's a huge amount of research in good nutrition and in all the various nutrients, but also homeopathy, which a lot of people might be surprised to know that because our government loves to smear homeopathy so much. But actually there's a huge amount of research and I can send you some links to the Homeopathy Research Institute, which has gold standard, beautiful, awesome research and lots of it. Well, Penny, uh, it would be tremendous. If you would send it to me yeah. then I could put it in the show notes so that if anybody's interested afterwards, they can contact you through that. Yes. Yeah, so I think over the years, <laughs> my parents have started becoming more accepting of homeopathy, especially when there's been a couple of really quite amazing cures that the remedies have brought about, especially my dad. He went on this trip and came back with this horrible throat infection that he couldn't get rid of. And he, his throat was like filled with this slime and it was this tropical kind of infection. And he had a million doses of antibiotics and months and months and months went by. And I said, oh, well, here, try this. 
and it went away within 24 hours. I love that. <laughs> I love that. So you thanked him over, did you? Yeah, and th that's not to say that all of the things that I've tried on them have been successful because many of them haven't. Yeah, that's normal. And I think that's just because it's close family. They're very resistant to homeopathy. They're not as resistant to good nutrition anymore. And, and they've always been into good nutrition, but more of that supplemental side of things. Mm -hmm. And I did grow up with a very strong, good nutritional kind of background uh, from them. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> That's a really good synopsis of where you've gone. Oh, I also need to throw in as an author, as a writer, and mm. you wrote a, a story. I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. give us a few minutes about that. How did that come about? So it would have been about, how old's my son now? He's nearly 13. So a little over 13 years old uh, ago when I was pregnant with my youngest, I started getting plagued by these dreams and it, they just went on and on and on. And I had all these sleep issues and I realized later on that they were more like memories and there were there was this whole series of events that happened in that time where I started coming across people and they would trigger these memories that weren't from this lifetime Probably which sound, up, yeah. it sounds really insane but no it's not it, yeah it's it, it, I, I would rack my brains where have I met this person before surely I would have remembered them given the strengths of this reaction I'm having to them. Mm. Uh, yeah. And being in a meditation group at the time I'd been in the group, my meditation group for probably a little over 10 years. So I understood from sitting on the cushion and listening to Imre about reincarnation or that kind of thing. But I had never had any experience of how <laughs> that direct lived experience of coming across somebody and being triggered like that. That's that beautiful, Penny, because you're talking my language. That is exactly <laughs> how I woke up. It's literally mm. through the recognition that the past has a message to give to us in the present. Yes. And the recognition of that message and the realization, what is it telling us from my point of view, just a comic reaction. Yeah. But those dreams kept harassing me and harassing me until I started acknowledging them mm -hmm. and until it was a whole series of events that brought me to writing about those events. And it's a long story and very involved, but eventually I did decide to write it all out. And I'm now two thirds of the way through book two of that I series. Because yeah. when you express it and you put it down, let it go, then you move on. And I'm sure yeah. you found now that the dreams changed. They changed the color oh, yeah. where they are completely because you've now moved it yeah. out of your system. I, I, I had That's absolutely yeah. brilliant because becoming yeah. an author, becoming a writer, I also know that you write articles from a homeopathic point of view on a brief yes. basis through yes. your, the work, through where you work, the clinic that you work in. By the way, you will send me those details as well so that I can put them in the show notes because okay. I'm sure people would want to contact you with your breadth of knowledge and information, your yeah. ability to communicate with people on so many different levels. That shows an yeah. open mind 
And that's be brilliant to have in any area of complementary medicine. I try to stay open. <laughs> oh, saying I'm all my life, say no more. Now, is there anything you found in your practice? Very homeopathy with remedies, with anything like that, you felt that you specialized in or that you've had an affinity towards? So there's been a few modalities or, or a few areas of health that I focus on. Mm -hmm. One that took me by surprise was Tourette's. So ah. that, that was a few years ago that I started coming across Tourette's patients. And that's you can really you explain what, that, what Tourette's is for people, please. And tics. So uh, basically Tourette's and tic disorders are body, involuntary body movements, but it's not just involuntary body movements. It's also about a whole series of mental health spectrum type stuff from OCD to intrusive thoughts to violent and other types of impulses and just the inability of a kid to go to school and be able to just fit in and be treated as normal. I guess you'd say. And so these, especially kids, they really struggled. So that's one area that I've been finding myself in. Another area has been, especially with women, trauma mm -hmm. and more specifically sexual trauma, which has been coming, that's been increasing more and more often in my practice in the last little while. Brilliant. Can you if you don't mind, share a little bit about how you found it from a treatment point of view, from a counseling point of view, how we could treat somebody with trauma. Do you do any form of advice or counseling or is it all remedy-based? This area has been very difficult actually for me to move into because I do have a history of trauma and more specifically sexual trauma. So for a while there, I avoided that whole side of things. So when a client came to me, I would refer them all and all. I would freeze up. Over the years, I'm nearly 50 now and I've been in practice for yeah, almost 20 odd years. Has it really been that long? Maybe a little bit less than 20 years. But in that time, I've been able to do a lot of work on myself and a lot of the, the path to resolution. And I think maybe there are some people who support that kind of thing without having gone through trauma. I don't know, but for me, it was absolutely integral to me being able to be there for other people to be able to get to a certain level myself of uh, recovery, I guess you'd call it, or of just resolution and understanding of, of the way my brain works when I go through triggers, I guess. But look, isn't that brilliant? Mm. I'm not saying it's brilliant that you went through it, but what I'm saying yeah. is if you as a therapist as, as, as the homeopath or whatever comes at it with experience, mm. you know what you've gone through. It doesn't mean to say everybody's gone through the same thing, yeah. but the structure is there. The conditional aspect of it is there. And from that, you can build a relationship with the client. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's cool. Absolutely. And homeopathy is secondary. Nutrition is secondary, no matter what modality you're doing. That is secondary to your rapport and relationship with the client. And I know, Misha, you'll know, you'll say the same thing because of, of what you do with reflexology. It's the relationship with the client that is number one top priority. And if you can't relate to the client because you're either too triggered or you don't have the experience, or maybe you're too shocked with what comes out of their mouths, hmm. it is 
really not a good experience for the client. They feel not. that. Of course not, 100%. Mm-hmm. You've got to be there. And I've also found that in order to be there for the client, you've got to be a rock within yourself. You're yes. coming from that point of knowledge, but I'm not going to tell you, oh, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, and this is where you come from. Mm-hmm. No, you've got to be there to listen. And yep. to give what advice you can, yes, but not to right. the person, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. You no. allow them an opening to express themselves. And from that point of expression, I have found that healing happens through the actual expression. Yeah. And so often they can't express. And that's right. Yeah. People come in and they'll, they'll go. And because in homeopathy, the structure of listening in a homeopathic consult is quite different to even counseling. And it's still about listening, but we're looking for certain information. And whether it's a sore elbow or serious trauma, we approach it in the same way. They're guiding symptoms towards a particular remedy. And there are, I think, about 8,000 remedies at the moment that are in existence in the Materia Medica in homeopathy. I've got a million different Materia Medicas back there and none of them have all the information of every single remedy. There's probably... 7,000 of them that aren't very common. Oh my goodness, Pete, that's like an encyclopedia in your head. <laughs> well, it's not. We probably know. The average homeopath probably knows about 500 remedies relatively well. Mm-hmm. And then all the rest of them, we have to look them up. If we get a client who whose symptoms just don't match that usual type of what we call a polycrest. So I know a lot of the polycrests, which are the remedies that have a really broad action on a lot of people and they're commonly given when somebody walks in the door and I think oh no that they're a really unusual presentation then I have to go to work with my repertoire and try and work out their symptoms but in the course of trying to work out the right remedy for that person I sit them down and I ask what is sometimes a bunch of really weird questions like what's your body temperature how much do you sweat and they'll be like, what does that have to do with my infected big toe? <laughs> but we see the body as one. And not only that, we see the immune system, not just on the physical level, but on the emotional, mental levels as well. And all of us who work in this field know how closely aligned the emotions and thoughts are the physical workings of the body and, and how stress, even just on that basic level of stress affects the immune system. Oh, look, absolutely. I'm, I agree hundred percent with you because that's the same way I work as well. As you know, yeah. I work through the feet or the face. As that's right. You're touching the big toe and all of a sudden I feel at the back of my head something and I get the sense of whatever. And I yeah. ask the client, does this mean anything to you? Oh yes. No, I haven't thought about that in ages. And boom, boom, it comes out and you move. But that That's doesn't right. mean to say you as a homeopath or me as a reflexologist takes on board the client's stuff. No. No. Be there to mirror it and give them the opportunity to release it. Well, sometimes I take on client stuff. Oh, naughty girl. You <laughs> yes, shouldn't do that. Not do. I've got my various little things that I do, washing off the day or doing a little meditation to help clear, especially if it's a very disturbing case, then I, I do go for a walk or do something just to help me process it all because it is 
a lot to process sometimes, the pain that people go through. And well, it really deep. you feel it deeply. Yeah, I yeah. go for a walk as well. First thing I do is, is much the same. Go for a walk or go sit and quiet in the chair. Go and feed the birds. Anything to move yourself away from the environment. Yeah. At. Yes. So please continue. This is a fascinating topic for a lot of people. Yeah. And the thing with homeopathy is that we call it, well, it's basically often referred to as uh, the psychiatry of the natural therapies. And there is, as far as I've searched, because I have searched far and wide on my own journey, mm -hmm. I have not come across a modality that has reached deeper into the subconscious and the higher levels of the personality in terms of being able to transform it and transform those really deep patterns that get stuck inside us mm -hmm. as homeopathy. And obviously you can't just take a remedy and expect it all to get better when you've had years and years and years of trauma layers. You've got to do the work yourself. You've got to be able to face what comes up. You've got to be able to sit with yourself and endure. <laughs> yes, I've found the first step is acknowledge. Mm. When and acknowledge and accept, then it's like a sacrifice. You've let go of something in order to replace right. it with something else. And that's what the homeopathy can be really good for is I find when, and I can only talk about it from my experience right this minute, but when I take a really high potency remedy for a particular issue, what I notice is that a few days later, I get this cascade of understanding that flows through myself. And it's like, I'm looking into a mirror that has been cleaned and I have to look at it and it can be quite harsh, the truth, but for whatever reason, the remedy allows me to look at that so-called harsh truth without quite so much resistance and pain around it. It just lets me get a really objective look. Oh, that's that whole pattern and all of that conditioning from childhood is now obsolete. It's like an old computer program. I can let that go now that I understand it. Yep. That's the beautiful part about it because that's all the conditioning that needs to go. You are now replacing it with something that you can accept now as an adult, recognizing that that was in the past, that was a childhood or a teenage event mm. that you went through or early marriage, but it's now time to move on. Yes. You're moving on with the maturity and with wisdom that you didn't have before. Yeah. And even though those same feelings come up as, you know, when the trauma was happening, it's with an adult's perspective now that you can look at it. That's so totally different. And a lot of those, a lot of the time, those feelings get locked in the body and you can't even access them if you want to. And that's one of the things that homeopathy can be really good at releasing. Obviously with the right support, and I wouldn't recommend that you would just go and take a high powered remedy for yourself and see what happens. You would need to do it with, and not just a homeopath probably, but other modalities, counseling, maybe kinesiology, reflexology, all of those things that are really good for helping to move that stuff through the body. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thanks for pointing this out because I've also found that it's not just one modality that will yeah. work. People need the support on other things. And you know me, I know you. There's this underlying aspect of spiritual advice as well, of supporting a person on that spiritual level 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll be called, would you believe, a spiritual advisor for our client? She comes to me for, for advice, but you could see the change in people when you yeah. give them another way of looking at life, another way of looking at a topic, a project that they have, and then let them go away and stew on it, on think on it. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's a good point, Misha, where I can take all the homeopathics in the world, but until I do that work, until I bring about some kind of energy that's higher than me, that can enter me, I can't actually get the momentum needed to make those really deep changes. That's the uh, vibratory frequency that allows the body to rise up and overcome. If you are staying on the same horizontal level all the time, you cannot sort of elevate yourself. So every time there is this elevation, it's like an internal initiation. You've had this realization, this inner aha, and the minute that understanding is there, you can, I always look upon myself as as I'm climbing a ladder and I can take another step up. And I don't know how I would have come as far as I've come without, well, yes, without homeopathy, but first of all, and most fundamentally without some kind of spiritual practice. And I know that people do, people do, and there are all these support groups and stuff. So I, I think that's a very positive, wonderful thing. And I'm not saying that they're not useful. If, if that's what suits somebody, yeah. absolutely they should go that way if they're not open to that spiritual path. But for me, I would never have been able to progress as much exactly. as I Yep. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean because I'm in the same boat. And I've found the spiritual understanding is the pathway. It's the middle pathway. You've done Yeah, it just gives it gives support while you're on that path, I guess you could say. Those yeah, mentality. Absolutely, because it's not something that you can say you have to believe this you haven't. It is a belief system that anybody can take on. But yeah. it's, it's much deeper than that. It's an understanding it's an experiential. It's experiential, it's an understanding of life in a broader sense. So I can understand when you started off, you've had all these dreams, these experiences. Yes, I had the same and Hundreds of people have had the same. It is a catalyst to move forward. So, where to from here? (laughs) (laughs) Where to from here? I would just, maybe I could make a quick comment about nutrition and trauma as well, because um, Hmm. this is one of the reasons why I did nutrition. It wasn't the only reason. I had a lot of other reasons as well. And I noticed that using the remedies were wonderful, but it was almost like, Certain traumas set up this pattern of mineral imbalance in the person. So when a person's horrendously stressed, especially at a chronic level, they are not able to absorb nutrients into the cells properly. And the cells almost get this tough coating. And it's interesting because with trauma, there's this whole profile energetically and emotionally of people walling stuff off that they can't handle or that they just don't, it's this resistance Mm -hmm. because with trauma, there was no control over what a person went through usually. So there's this resistance and fear and of reliving constantly of the experience. And then that's unpleasant so that there's this constant resistance going on. And what I see is a resistance on the physical level as well, 
with nutrients entering cells. People, oh, I'm so sorry about the dog. People yeah, almost okay. experience the resistance on all levels, really. So just to look at it from a really basic point of view, magnesium. If you're really stressed, your cells can't take on magnesium and the body dumps it, which is exactly when you need magnesium. Zinc, if you're really stressed, you can't take on zinc properly. And our diets are low in zinc anyway because the soils are so deficient. So, and magnesium often because we don't eat a lot of veggies and veggies are a good source of magnesium. So just those two alone, zinc and magnesium, if you're going through chronic trauma or if you have been through chronic trauma, it's really likely that you'll be low in those. And then if you're low in zinc, you're often not getting enough stomach acid. So you're not absorbing and breaking down your proteins properly, which means you can't make your carriers for things like your iron and for things like your copper. And if you can't make your protein carriers for copper, you've got sky high free tissue copper, which is not being opposed by the zinc. And copper contributes to things like mental illness, infection. It's devastating for oxidative damage. And it causes this feeling of being wired, can't sleep. Overactivity of the mental whole nervous system. So this profile alone, you can do so much with the nutrient. And, and especially if you're not getting the right nutrients, no amount of homeopathy or massage or any other modality is going to help on that physical body, physical response level. Yes, because from what I can see, that is like the first domino. If that domino falls and everything else falls. So yeah. if you stop that domino from falling by honing in in the, in the right way, as you say, with, with the right nutrients, that'll stop it. Yeah. Now, so the next question to you is when someone comes to you with this depth of trauma, mm. can you, with homeopathy or nutrition, treat them? to repair something and get back on track? It, Misha, it's not as easy as just saying, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> How long would it take to, uh, the- to, I use the word repair because as you're yeah. talking, it reminds me of a wound that's open. Yes, it is. It's an invisible wound. Correct. And I think it depends on the person. It depends on how... I, I always see this, you know, finding Nemo, when Nemo's clinging to the whale's tongue, it was taken in by the whale and Dory's going with the water underneath and Nemo's going, and I know a lot of people who have been through trauma have that sensation of not being able to let go. And I, and you can't force yourself to let go. No. It doesn't feel safe to let go. So having awareness of that and having intention to want to shift that, Mm -hmm. I think is crucial to the whole trauma process. I mean, I've had a few clients who have been really willing and wanting to, but at the same time, they've maybe done years and years of maybe cognitive behavioral therapy or something like that, which I see is really valuable and I'm not dissing it in any way. The only thing is some people 
they seem to take it on board as an intellectual exercise. So there's this really strong layer of intellectualizing of their, their stuff because they want to understand it on the intellectual level because it's too painful for them to feel it. And I find that those people are the most resistant of all to homeopathy because I can't treat a person unless, unless I know how they feel about stuff. Okay, I can just interrupt for one moment here. Mm. And I see this, unless there is a lifestyle change, nothing yes. actually happens. I've treated cancer for many, many years now. Mm -hmm. And over eight years, I've seen clients who've come to remission, left, and two or three years that they battled back with the, it, the cancer somewhere else in the body. Mm -hmm. Many of them have asked, well, what have you changed? Have yeah. you changed anything in, in, at home? Oh, what's the point? Nobody's going to yeah. listen to me. You know, they've got that attitude of giving up. Yes. And you need a stubbornness. You need a certain amount of stubbornness yes. and a certain amount of refusal to, to let those things get you down. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect with that because I've gotten down heaps of times and gone, what's the point? But in a way, what's the point of stopping? Because then you're just sitting there in your own doldrums and you're not actually, you're just miserable. Uh -huh. And I think that's, I remember having this conversation with somebody at a retreat once where they'd gone to a therapist and the therapist had asked them because they hadn't shifted for a long time and they were in the doldrums. The therapist said, how much do you want to suffer? Have you suffered enough yet? Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> enough. And I can totally relate to that because you do, for whatever reason, need to go through a certain amount of suffering before you go, that's enough. I don't need this anymore. I don't need to hang on to it. I don't need the baggage. For whatever reason, that whole suffering pattern was giving me some kind of uh, perceived benefit, whether it was like a Yes, like a lot and I was holding on to it for whatever reason because it made me feel better about myself somehow. But I think I've suffered enough for that and I'm willing to face the crap inside me, even if it's really horrible to face. And there has been a, a lot of horrible things that I've had to face about myself. And it's really quite freeing to take that good long hard look in the mirror and maybe hate it at the same time, but afterwards go, oh, I, I guess... I can accept that about myself. Yes. I guess I can live with that. Even if it's awful, that that's, oh, okay, I was hiding from that. Well, it was actually worse to hide from it. Mm -hmm. Well, look what you've been through. And it was driving me on, on a subconscious level anyway, so it wasn't really escaping from it at all. <laughs> it was the underneath. It's the underneath, just like you have the icing on the cake. Yeah. You can't put the icing on unless there's cake. And um, you were going through all this stuff and a lot of people and clients go through the same thing. But yes. I've also found in what I'm doing too is facing the problem. So yeah. often that facing of the problem is too difficult because oh, if I do, it's going to affect this person, it will hurt that person. Yes. And you look at the periphery. And the minute you try and do that, you realize it's, it's this rock you throw into the pool and it's got all these rings going around it. And you do, you lose friendships, you lose connections mm -hmm. and it's the connections and friendships that you lose that are the ones who are 
not treating you right, That's right. or who was somehow benefiting of you being that way means that your boundaries are compromised or that means that you're allowing them to do things that maybe if you had stronger boundaries, you wouldn't allow them to do because they don't feel good. No, but so often people don't recognize the boundaries that they have around themselves. And often people feel that they need those people because maybe they'll be lonely or maybe they'll be worse off without that person. But I think that's a big part of getting over any kind of trauma is to realize that first of all, it feels really lonely in there. But second of all, you can make these connections with people that are maybe a little bit destructive. And that's also a big part of the healing process is recognizing when a relationship, whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship or whatever is destructive and taking steps to either try and change it for the better from your end or leave that relationship if you very much need to. And I know that's easier said than done, having been in an abusive relationship myself and knowing mm -hmm. uh, how difficult that is. So, yeah. But look at the courage one needs. And a lot of people don't have that courage because from my perspective, that courage comes from your heart. It mm. comes from understanding that nobody is perfect. And it's still like to overlook and it's like you're reforming yourself, you're restructuring your inside. You are, you're remaking yourself from the inside, which is a terrifying process. And it, you don't just do it once. No. It's like shedding a thousand different skins. You've got to do it over and over again. And just when you've gotten over the last one and you think, oh, I've got a bit of peace now, but there's another one to do. But every time you go deeper and deeper and yeah. you get lighter and lighter, and you, mm. I think as a therapist, you become more and more effective. And my ability to be able to connect with my clients now, I really feel has come all away. So when I first started, I got the shock as to how, how many obstacles there are to be able to connect with people in that really intimate, but professional way. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the other day there was a lady who was telling me stuff that the old me would have just gone, oh my God, I've not known what to say, but actually by the end of it, even though it was really shocking what she told me, we were laughing. Oh, magic. Yeah. And being able to turn something like that amount of trauma into a laugh. <laughs> and she was part of that. She was on board with wanting to laugh as well. And it's, it's a little bit of dark humor sometimes, but I think you have to be able to accept that scope of all of it. You've got to accept all of it from the darkest of the dark mm -hmm. to the lightest of the light. And I think in our society, we want to whitewash and cancel anything that's remotely negative, but they can exist together. You know, you put them up on a notice board and they're side by side, then they can all exist together. Somehow there's room for all of it and it, they don't cancel each other out. The crappiness doesn't cancel out the good. And that's one thing that I really have worked hard to realize mm -hmm. and that I didn't I didn't trust that for a long time after I first realized it, but as the years have gone on, I've managed to be able to trust that if something has come on me, that's really dark, it's there and it feels all encompassing, but it's not going to cancel out what I've built up of the light. It's just going to be there for a while, feel overwhelming and it will, you know, like the cloud going over the sun type trope. Mm -hmm. It will 
always maybe be there in a little bit, but it, in, in a small fashion, but it will shrink eventually if you turn your attention to the light. Yes. Turn the attention away from that, which is dark, away from that, which yes. is the negative aspect. Of it. But it's not even a turning away from the negative. This is what it's I've come to realize. Yes. It's a, um, it's a slight shift in perspective towards mm -hmm. something. What, you know, and before I could work it out, I'd be sloshing around in the doldrums in the dark. Or, oh, I don't want this. I don't want this. But then what I realized was I need to ask myself, what do I want? Mm. move towards that rather than say, I don't want, I don't want resist, resist, resist. Okay. Well, you go through a stage of that when you hit with something really awful, but then it's about turning around and going, what do I, what do I want? And half the time I wouldn't know. And that's the trouble is if you don't know what you want, it's not going to get delivered to you. You're going to keep getting more of what you don't want. Mm -hmm. Because you attract to yourself. And if this talk. Yeah. And that's the only thing which I found really important is sound. It's the power of the thoughts through the sound that comes out. Yes. And this is what leads people sometimes down the garden path. And it's yes. Yes, picking yourself up and going forward and understanding yes. the why in everything. And I've had a lot of patient, a lot of people, clients who have had a lot of pain mm -hmm. in their lives, whether emotional or physical. And it's all the same. I don't want this pain anymore. Mm. Okay. That, that's totally fair enough. What do you want? Mm -hmm. Oh, and I, I see it time and time again. They, they, it's, it's, and it's not just they, we are so easily brought down by a pain. We are. And then we start to focus on it and become obsessed with it because it's having such an impact on our lives. And this is what I find with anything, whether it's trauma, whether it's, I don't know, illness or, or anything else. It causes us pain and we feel pain and then we slosh around in it for ages and then the pain grows because we're putting our attention to the pain, to not wanting the pain, to resisting the pain, to hating the pain and the thoughts and the bad thoughts get worse. And then what I realized out of that, and it, it takes so much time to, to understand that whole process to the point where you can catch yourself and go, oh, hang on, I'm doing that again, going round and round and round in my pain. Where do I want to move to? And then I put in some kind of little image of maybe what I want to move towards. So the pain's still there, sloshing around and going right around. It doesn't fix that, but it just shifts my perspective a little bit so I can move towards something else that I actually genuinely want to move towards. And that is a good motivator to get me out of that space. Yes, but Penny, understand this. You needed the knowledge behind. You needed the experience. Yeah in order to be able to, number one, face those traumas, face those problems and make yeah. a decision, enough is enough and move yeah. on. So once you come with that, then when clients come to you, you have a basis for understanding that you can listen without assuming something, but standing back and being of assistance on all levels. Yeah. As we try, you, you try, you succeed very well. The trauma is there. And it's overcoming that trauma and recognizing mm. that there's different ways. But for me, it's the, the initial acceptance that something has happened, something is there. And then yeah. the desire, not the need, but the desire to change. That yeah. immediately puts it on another way. When you yeah. need something, 
that is an object, you need this pen. But when you desire something, it takes it into that emotional, it takes that through into the mind. And that is the way to go to move forward. And then you're willing to do the work and, and to catch yourself out and to, you know, cut through that process because you desire it so badly that you want to, you really want to move on. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I know you and I can move on and can chat you out for the next hour or two. <laughs> but um, look, please tell me, where is your book available? I think people would like to know that. It's available all over the place. It's, it, it, there's an ebook available on all the usual ebook places, Amazon and all of that. And apparently it's available through just general outlets as well. Like Magic. Did it, and the title is? The Oracle of Ur, or Ur. You are Ur. <laughs> I'm not sure how to pronounce it these days because it's Ur in, in that Middle Eastern sort of language, but in Australia they call it. Uh, apologies for the wrong way of pronouncing it. No, it's not wrong. I just, I'm still working out what to actually call it, in that, that, how to actually pronounce it when I'm talking about it because it hasn't been out for very long. I, I can fully understand that because with my experiences and started off in the 1994s area, I used to go to the planet Uranus, but at that stage, I didn't call it that. I called, where did that come from? Anyway, that's, that's a story for another time. Yeah. <laughs> so um, all I want to do is say thanks ever so much for the, the insights, the gems you've given us from a transformational point of view, how things work. And change in the lifestyle and, and the contract contacts that you have. I, I find you, a, a person utilizes all the tools. I think mm. that you, you've got your tools in your kit. Yeah. Those tools, are arrows, and you never run out of those arrows. He's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> no, you never run out of those arrows because you have elevated yourself to another level where you can build on what you have. Mm, thank you, Misha. It's a pleasure to, to be here and talk to you today. It is my pleasure and I will have in the show notes, you will let me know all the areas where people can contact you, your clinic, oh. everything. So thank all you, the best and I look forward to um, hearing more about your next book and <laughs> thank you. the future where you're going. So take care and enjoy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Misha. Take care. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you've enjoyed this discussion and I invite you to join me weekly as we explore other modalities and ways of looking at life. The object always is to discover who we really are, hiding behind the inner gateway.